Hi everyone, this is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg, your host for Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hi everyone, I'm Amanda Borchel Dan. This week, in honor of the January 27 International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we're hearing from Dani Diane, the new head of Yad Vashem, the Jerusalem based museum and Holocaust Education Center. Dani was born in 1955 in Argentina and moved to Israel in 1971. Prior to heading Yad Vashem, he was the Consul General of Israel in New York, and before that, he was a longtime activist and head of the right-wing settler movement's Yesha Council. In the most recent elections, he ran on Giron Sar's New Hope ticket and was appointed chair of Yad Vashem this August by the party's education minister, Yifat Shasha Biton. Despite his former political ties, Dani tells me that he and Yad Vashem are strictly nonpartisan in their work. I spoke with Dani in his Jerusalem office last week, and let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Dani. Thank you so much for joining me. We're here in your Jerusalem office of Yad Vashem, and you've been uh, heading Yad Vashem since August. August. What do you see Yad Vashem's role in marking International Holocaust Day? One of my intentions is to put the Holocaust legacy on the forefront of the international agenda, in the international diplomatic agenda, in the international educational agenda. And I no doubt that January 27th is uh, a day in which uh, we can enhance that, we can strengthen that. I think that the legacy of the Holocaust is relevant to the world today in 2022. And uh, I think that all International Holocaust Day encapsulates or focuses the, the efforts that we have to do in order to put the Shoah, the Holocaust, and its legacy and its lessons at the forefront of the international agenda. Okay, we're speaking a few days after a hostage situation in Dallas in which a synagogue, a reform synagogue, was infiltrated and four Jews were taken hostage for about 11 hours. Do you see any connection between a lack of Holocaust education and perhaps this kind of arguably anti-Semitic event? No doubt that the lack of Holocaust education is, or I would say the other way, Holocaust education can be a mitigating factor in anti-Semitism. I'm not uh, implying, I'm not naive enough to imply that Holocaust education will uh, erase anti-Semitism from the face of earth, but it definitely can mitigate it, uh, can at least in some sectors of society, I'm not sure regarding this specific individual that uh, took hostages in Texas, but in some sectors of the society, definitely it can mitigate prejudice against Jews and can mitigate uh, uh, anti-Semitism. You know, uh, I must admit that I was naive enough to believe that anti-Semitism, at least in the United States, it will take longer since the Shoah until we see a re-emergence of of anti-Semitism, but uh, I was wrong. Uh, when I came to New York to serve as Israel's Consul General, I thought that anti-Semitism will not be high in my agenda. But then uh, Charlottesville came with the uh, Nazi flags being waved in the in the center of an American city, and then uh, uh, Pittsburgh with 11 Jews murdered while uh, davening, and then uh, Poway and Jersey City and Monsey, and now... Uh, in Texas, in uh, that, thank God, without innocent victims. 
This is actually the second time that we're meeting. We met in Pittsburgh following the shooting. I was there covering for the Times of Israel, and you were there with your daughter, I believe. You have spoken in the past about how this was somewhat of a turning point for you. How do you see it now, several years on? A turning point that I still see it as a turning point that uh, unfortunately did not awaken uh, the American society. Uh, look, I remember that, uh, you know, I arrived to Pittsburgh when that same Shabbat when the bodies were still lying on the shul. For me, I, I stayed in uh, in Pittsburgh an entire week, participating in all the funerals, the shiva, with the families and meeting elected officials and, and first and embracing the community. For me, uh, even after Charlottesville, that was a kind of wake-up call. Uh, I didn't believe I, I will have to witness something like that in America. But the fact is that uh, it was not an isolated, it was the worst one, but it was an isolated event. So, no, the uh, the world and the American society did not learn the lessons of, from Pittsburgh, unfortunately. Following the shooting, I remarked upon the solidarity of the community. However, there are several Israelis who came in, uh, including yourself and uh, our current Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, and there is a lot of criticism of the uh, tone in which the Israelis took following this event. I'm seeing this kind of criticism again following the Dallas event in which Jew is criticizing Jew for political beliefs immediately after a fellow Jew is being attacked. How do you... How do you fathom that? I for sure was not, wasn't a part of that. Uh, I think that I came to Pittsburgh. Uh, I said very clearly that I came to Pittsburgh uh, in the first days. It's morning and then it's time to take action but uh, and, and to learn lessons. But uh, uh, I heard that criticism in some senses. Uh, uh, I, I shared it, uh, parts of it. But, you know, uh, ultimately... An anti-Semitic attack in in uh, anywhere in the world is is local news for Israel. is domestic is a domestic issue for Israel. I always uh, thought that on one hand, you know, we don't have authority to act uh, as Israel uh, outside of our boundaries. So, but on the other hand, in spite of that, we have responsibility. And yes, this is a responsibility that may come without full authority, but we have to find a way to fulfill that responsibility, talking about it, exerting pressure on, on elected officials in all levels to combat anti-Semitism. You know, and the, the difference between us, our generation, and the generation of... Uh, we are not in Europe of the 1930s, okay? Even after, even if you are talking a few days after the event uh, in Texas, uh, I am not implying in any way that we are... Uh, in a similar situation or even anything closer to resembling uh, Germany of the 30s. But there is a huge difference between us and, our, and the generation of those days. And the difference is that we have the experience that they lacked. Probably they couldn't, they, they didn't imagine, couldn't imagine that uh, uh, anti-Semitism can grow to such monstrous dimensions as it did. And we know that it can. And if that it happened once, uh, it can happen again. That's the reason that when uh, dignitaries from all over the world come to Yad Vashem to visit, I always tell them that there are many lessons from the Shoah. Some are uh, individual lessons, some are uh, national lessons, uh, others are universal lessons. But I take two of the lessons and point them out. One is the vital necessity of a Jewish state. 
an independent, robust, secure Jewish state. You know, Amanda, we all wandered in the St. Louis from, from port to port, from dock to dock in North America and the Caribbeans in Latin America and were denied entry. Uh, Israel uh, is the guarantee that there is not good. There will be always a safe haven for persecuted Jews. And the second is that when you see anti-Semitism, combat it immediately, forcibly and decisively. Don't uh, assume that is a marginal phenomenon because anti-Semitism, we know, can develop into terrible dimensions. So our duty is to point it uh, very clearly. The duty of the leaders of the world is to take that and, and act. We'll hear more from Yad Vashem head Danny Diane after this short break. Hey, it's Jessica Steinberg. If you have an important message you'd like to share with people who care deeply about Israel and the Jewish world, there's really no better way to do that than by advertising in our podcasts. Reach the Times of Israel's unique community with an audio ad. For more information, email ads at timesofisrael.com. That's ads at timesofisrael.com. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back with Dani Diane, head of Yad Vashem. As we all know, anti-Semitism can uh, be in many guises, have many different forms. And one of the forms that we're seeing more and more, at least in Eastern Europe, is Holocaust distortion, the distortion of history. Talk a little bit about this and what Yad Vashem can do. You know, let's start with the good news. The good news is that outright Holocaust denial is today a marginal uh, phenomenon. Uh, is relegated to the lunatic fringes of the social media in which you always can find anything there, every crazy thing you will find there. Uh, uh, but no serious uh, leader, influencer, journalist or intellectual, except maybe in Iran or, or, or other parts of the Muslim world, will deny outright that the Holocaust existed. Uh, happened. There are many reasons. Uh, it, by the way, it, that wasn't the case even in the 80s or 90s, where it was even an intellectual fashion of of, of trying to deny the, uh, the 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 Holocaust. But we had that we do have a serious problem of Holocaust uh, distortion, and the main manifestation of that Holocaust distortion, as you said, you mentioned Eastern Europe, but they can see it even in Western Europe 
is the following. People saying, uh, yes, of course the Holocaust happened, of course there were gas, cha gas chambers and six million Jews were annihilated, but in my country, each one of them says, and sometimes it's governments that say, in my country, there were no collaborators with the Nazis, we were victims exactly like the Jews, and uh, unfortunately that is uh, not true. Almost in every single European uh, country, there were collaborators with the Nazis, were perpetrators of, of war crimes against uh, the Jews. So uh, that is a, a severe way of distorting history, distorting the Holocaust. And uh, we are very adamant, we are very active in combating that. I was in Kiev and... I said very clearly in the conference that opened there that we welcome Ukraine to the family of democratic nations uh, and we uh, acknowledge uh, with gratitude the fact that today the Jewishness of the Holocaust is acknowledged in, in Ukraine, but they have to go the extra mile and also recognize that there were a lot of Ukrainian collaborators. In Poland, we see the situation in which um uh, uh, it's even punishable to 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 say that, to to research uh, the true the truth about the holocaust in belarus uh, recently uh, legislation talking about the genocide of the belarusian people uh, uh, which is obviously the belarusians suffered no doubt about it but the Holo the, the genocide was only against the jews uh, and even, you know, uh, I remember uh, President Macron from France coming to Yad Vashem in, in, in January 2020 and giving a wonderful speech, uh, uh, but not mentioning in one word uh, Vichy. So, uh, yes, there are uh, uh, that he didn't deny that Vichy existed, but he didn't also mention that. Um, so uh, that way of distorting uh, the Shoah is uh, uh, very troubling and uh, uh, we have to combat it. I met, uh, I, I meet uh, very frequently uh, different uh, ambassadors that are posted in Israel uh, and I remember one uh, uh, European ambassador from a so former Soviet Union uh, country um, that told me something that uh, I, I quote frequently he told me diplomats uh, should make us feel comfortable. You have the task to make us feel uncomfortable. And we do that. We have a very, very uncomfortable relationship right now with Poland, for instance, which you mentioned. And do you see Yad Vashem as having the obligation to speak out against this kind of uh, government policy? We have uh, an obligation to speak against any a distortion of the Shoah, be any uh, limitations uh, for sure criminalization of historical research. Look, there is only one thing we are committed to, and that is historical accuracy. Uh, we are not committed, uh, by the way, also to Israeli diplomatic uh, interests. There can be, and there were, I am sure there will be, uh, instances in which uh, uh, we see uh, a distortion of the historical accuracy, and we say it even if it is against uh, uh, the diplomatic interest, the uh, momentarily diplomatic in uh, interests of Israel. Uh, we are, Yad uh, Vashem uh, 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 exists, is a statutory uh, organ uh, 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 established by law, 
but we are not a governmental uh, agency. We are bound. We are bound only by uh, uh, historical accuracy. That's what the Jewish people bestowed on our shoulders. So you are a political appointment. However, are you not? Uh, the chairman of Yad Vashem is always appointed by the government. Yes, that's the law. It's a very interesting intermingled relationship if you think about it. You were a politician, you were, uh, you had your own party, so obviously you had your own ideology and your own thoughts, and now you're meant to head a, a non-partisan, non-siding uh, kind of organization. How do you divorce your previous political life? First of all, that's not the first time I do it. I was a consul general of Israel in New York. I was at the helm of Israel's uh, largest uh, diplomatic mission in the world and I think that no one will uh, that watched I, how I performed in New York will accuse me that uh, I politicized uh, that diplomatic uh, uh, um, position on the contrary uh, so for me it's uh, very natural but uh, I agree with you that in Yad Vashem it is, is, is even more uh, uh, critical to depoliticize uh, Yad Vashem and to depoliticize my uh, behavior. Uh, the moment I uh, assumed its position as chairman of Yad Vashem, I created, in my mind at least, uh, I created in my in my attitude uh, a, a firewall uh, between me and politics, for sure between me and partisan politics. Uh, but make no mistake, that doesn't mean that uh, Yad Vashem and I personally, we are we are Israelis, we are Jewish, and we are Zionists. But uh, I am I'm an Israeli, I'm a Jew, I'm a Zionist. Yad Vashem is an Israeli, uh, a Jewish, and Zionist organization, uh, but uh, uh, no non-political whatsoever. You are the former head of Yesha, the uh, settler movement, shall we say. Has this come to uh, bite you in the back at all in terms of your dealings in internationally? I know that anything that smacks of settlerhood can rub people the wrong way. Well, you know, uh, uh, no, I live in, in, in Samaria. You know, as I told you, I, I was for four years uh, the senior diplomatic representative of Israel in New York and its surrounding uh, states, and I felt no uh, problem with uh, that caused no no problems. Uh, the same applies to Yad Vashem. I just uh, met uh, uh, the Secretary General of the UN Guterres while visiting uh, New York and many other dignitaries. Uh, no, that's not an issue. And you don't think that uh, the international public will now identify Yad Vashem as a settler uh, institution? Not at all. I think that I am uh, much more than uh, one category. Uh, that's... Uh, no, no. Uh, whoever uh, knows the way I act and has watched the way I act in all my previous and present uh, offices uh, knows that uh, that assumption is absurd. We're speaking with former politician Danny Dayan, now the head of Yad Vashem. Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. And we're back with Yad Vashem's Danny Dayan. 
Let's focus back on Yad Vashem. You assumed the mantle under the coronavirus crisis, which has changed everything throughout the entire world, and especially public institutions, one might say. How has Yad Vashem pivoted and adapted to this new reality? Well, yes, it was tough, as it was tough for everyone. Uh, in our uh, museum, uh, Yad Vashem, as you know, is much more than a museum, but is an institution that has a museum, has two museums, has several museums, uh, so the Museum of Art and others. Uh, yeah, that affected, obviously, uh, the museums were, cl- were closed for a period uh, from uh, one million, more than one million visitors for per year. Uh, 70%, 70% of them from abroad, we went down to uh, some 100,000 per year, almost all of them uh, Israelis. So definitely it affected uh, that side of our uh, activity, uh, but it affected less the others. Uh, it affected less the our archival, for instance, uh, uh, activities. It affected less uh, our um, research uh, uh, activities that can be made, uh, you know, uh, without uh, physical presence. Um, it affected, obviously, international conferences uh, that uh, became virtual. Uh, our school, our International School of Holocaust Studies, uh, went uh, virtual uh, to a large extent. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, not only uh, for Yad Vashem, it's everybody. And uh, I would say that we adapted. as We, we did our best to adapt, and uh, I believe that quite successfully. Except for the fact that, yes, we miss the visitors uh, very much. Uh, uh, it's possible even to, to, to browse the museum uh, virtually, but uh, I know that it's not the same thing. Who is the museum for? Look, uh, the museum, uh, Yad Vashem, is the, the institution of the victims. You know, uh, if you go, for instance, to, to Washington, to the museum in Washington, you will see a, an important section about the American liberators. If you go to Auschwitz, you visit the place in which the, the, the crimes were perpetrated. Uh, we are the institution of the victims of the Jewish people that was the the victim of the Shoah. But uh, we present those events uh, both to Israelis and to the world. Uh, Several of my children have been through the museum and uh, each one has his own takeaway. And one of them asked me, it's great that there is this museum, but who is helping the Holocaust survivors today, the ones who are living in poverty? The Holocaust survivors, uh, Yad Vashem is a home for the Holocaust survivors. Uh, uh, you see here in my office uh, four pictures of uh, Holocaust survivors watching me every day from the wall in my office to to make sure I work hard to preserve the the, the memory and the legacy of the Holocaust uh, from different uh, from different regions. Uh, uh, from Hungary and from Poland and from uh, uh, Czechoslovakia and from Greece. Um, but uh, uh, the task of uh, um, taking care of the Holocaust survivors, the State of Israel and the Jewish people bestowed on other organizations, not in Yad Vashem. Uh, we definitely care a lot about that. 
but uh, uh, this is uh, a separate responsibility that I said uh, the state of Israel and the Jewish people uh, put on the shoulders of other organizations that I hope that they do their work, they, they fulfill their mission, I hope. One of the most moving sections of Yom HaShoah is, of course, the ceremony in which Holocaust survivors present their life story through filmed uh, little films that Yad Vashem creates. What is going to happen in another five, ten years when these moving stories won't be told first person anymore? That's a, a great question. And, uh, you know, it's an, it's an, an inevitable reality. We know that. Uh, we know that... Uh, 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 the number is, for natural reasons, unfortunately, dwindling rapidly. And uh, I don't know how long it takes. Uh, I hope it will take uh, uh, longer than the figures you said. But yes, definitely, we will live in a world without uh, um, actual witnesses. Um, that uh, puts uh, that will make our task much more difficult but uh, much more challenging, but also much more vital, much more important. And uh, don't forget, we talk a lot about Holocaust survivors giving testimony, and, and we work very hard to gather more and more testimonies. At the beginning, there were uh, written testimonies, now later audio testimonies, now audiovisual testimonies. We share also collections of testimonies, of video testimonies, of visual testimonies from other organizations that are in our collection. Um, uh, but don't forget, Amanda, that there are six million Jews that were never able to be, give testimony. The vast majority was never able to give testimony. So the documentation that we gather obsessively, yes, obsessively, I'm not ashamed of using that word all over the world, um, the, the the research that we do, uh, the the, the 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 large number of books that we publish, including memoirs, but not restricted to memoirs, uh, those are the testimonies uh, uh, that will uh, remain for us when the physical presence of uh, 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 the survivors uh, is not with us. And you know, people ask me sometimes why we are so obsessive in, in gathering every single piece of documentation. We have more than 200 million documents in our archive, by far the, the largest archive on Holocaust issues uh, in the world. We, we have the largest uh, library in the world, etc. Uh, and and my, my answer is that it's twofold. Uh, on one hand, it's for the future. As, you, as we said, uh, when the survivors will not be here for future generations, the documents will be the testimony. Uh, but I believe that it's also an obligation we have for the victims. Um, you know, I, 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 I am haunted sometimes by this vision of uh, a young Jewish girl from, let's say, Bialystok in Poland. Uh, let's call her Sarah or Gita or Zelda or... Hannah, uh, that was cramped, pushed with her family and cramped into the shul in the synagogue in Bialystok and then set a fire with the entire congregation. And I am sure, I am sure that uh, 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 she, in her last moments, she expected us to know about her everything we can. Uh, uh, her name, her face, uh, the names of her parents and siblings, uh, her expectations from life as she wrote in 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 
letters to her friends. So it's an obligation we have to the future, but no less than that uh, uh, to the victims themselves. And you ask, if you ask me, how do I know that she expected us uh, from us? Uh, you know, in my first day in Yad Vashem, I toured the campus, and at the at the exit from the art museum, I saw this uh, inscription uh, carved on the wall. It's a quote from Gela Zakstein. Gela Zakstein was a painter in the Warsaw Ghetto, and in uh, August 1942, she wrote, "As I stand on the border between life and death." certain that I will not remain alive, mainly, uh, namely, I, I will not make it. I'm, my, my fate is doomed, I know that. I wish to take leave from my friends and my works. My works I bequeath to the Jewish Museum to be built after the war. So, Gela Zakstein knew in uh, August 42 that she is doomed, but she also knew that the Jewish people will establish Yad Vashem. When I saw that, I mean, it sent shivers all over my body. I, I knew that I want that inscription on my office to see it every single day, uh, to head uh, an organization that is basically uh, the, the last will and testament of, not only of Gela Zakstein, of the six million Jews that were murdered that expected us to do what we do today every single day, uh, for me, is, uh, is 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 you know is 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 on one on one hand is terrible, on the other hand is is so inspiring. Thank you so much for all of your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel, and thanks to our producer Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.